Hello and welcome. This is a podcast of ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, and today we'll be talking about US-Ukraine relations. And my guest today is Christopher Miller, correspondent covering Eastern Europe for BuzzFeed News and Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty. Hello, Chris. Hello, Volodymyr. Thank you for having me. So we'll be talking about a recent scandal, basically, which appeared in Ukraine, meaning the publication of uh, tapes of uh, conversations between former Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko and former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden and currently presidential candidate in the U.S. in 2016. And there is a huge buzz around it in Ukraine because anti-Poroshenko, anti-Western propaganda basically is saying that Biden was pressing Poroshenko to dismiss uh, Prosecutor General Shokin and instead promising $1 billion uh, of U.S. support. Uh, Christopher, what do you think? Why is it published? And who is basically probably interested in publishing this story? Yeah, I mean, those are the two big questions I think that we need some better answers or clearer answers to. But, you know, my sense is that the Trump-Ukraine issue, you know, has been a big one for the past almost year, but fell sort of to the wayside when the coronavirus pandemic hit. And I think that there are a lot of allies in Ukraine of Trump's sort of inner circle, especially allies of and acquaintances of Rudy Giuliani. That's the, uh, the, the lawyer for Trump and, of course, the former mayor of New York City. You'll remember that Giuliani made a trip out to Kiev late last year and met with the man who released these recordings, Andrei Dirkach. You know, my sense is that these tapes were released right now because they serve the Ukraine campaign of Rudy Giuliani. He hasn't said much about his dealings in Ukraine during the coronavirus pandemic, But it's pretty clear now that with Joe Biden being the presumptive Democratic nominee, that the Trump camp wants to go back to banging Biden about his connections to Ukraine, his work in Ukraine while he was vice president, and the work of his son Hunter Biden in Ukraine. This is an area where they feel, with the Trump campaign at least, and, and Giuliani feel as though they can attack Biden. This attack in Giuliani's Ukraine campaign has resonated, I think, within the right-wing circle Um, in the U.S., and especially among Trump supporters who have turned the phrase quid pro quo that was used to describe Trump's demand for President Zelensky to open an investigation into Biden, use it as leverage, this request, in order for Ukraine to get military support. And the buzzword, of course, relating to that was quid pro quo, right? One thing for, uh, for another. In this case, it was Trump making a personal request of a foreign leader, right? This Biden case where Biden demanded Poroshenko to fire the former prosecutor general Viktor Shokin is being seen by the Trump circle and supporters as a quid pro quo. And, and that's what they're calling it. And, and these tapes have bolstered that argument. But these tapes don't say anything that we haven't heard before from Joe Biden or Andrei Durkach or Rudy Giuliani. If they are authentic, And that still is yet to really be found to be true, although it does seem as though the voices on the tape and the conversations did happen, even if they were heavily edited. The information released in these tapes or shown in these tapes are nothing new and certainly nothing, I would say, illicit or illegal 
on the side of Biden or Poroshenko. The reason why this could be released by Dyrkach right now, for his sake, could be he is viewed in Ukraine, obviously, as a pro-Russian politician. He is independent in the Rada, but he has ties with Russian figures and pro-Russian figures in Ukraine. And for him, this could be a way to gain notoriety, raise his public profile, And we know from previous experience in reporting that there's typically some sort of financial incentive. And I don't want to make any allegations of that, you know, that he might be receiving money for this. But certainly that is something that should be considered and looked into in this matter. If we assume that this, uh, these tapes are real and genuine, you already tried to answer the question, but let me repeat it. Did you find something wrong in behavior of either Biden or Poroshenko? Because it was presented by Derkach, the, the press conference sounded like the new testimony of corruption and external governance in Ukraine. But did you personally found something wrong on both sides? No, I don't think that there's anything wrong about what is being discussed there. I know that Trump supporters listen to this tape and they believe they hear a, quote, quid pro quo, right? Biden demanding something of Ukraine in exchange for this billion dollars in loan guarantees. That might be something for another sense, the sort of literal meaning of a quid pro quo. I suppose you could say that you know Biden is saying, we're only going to give you this money if you fire Shokin. And Biden himself has said that. But that aligns with U.S. policy at the time, and arguably U.S. policy still, even under Trump. And this really is an act of diplomacy, not an act of extortion or political pressure for something that would personally benefit Biden. There's nothing in these tapes to suggest that Biden profited personally. The Ukrainian gas company Burisma, which is at the heart of this matter because Hunter Biden served on the board, isn't even discussed in this. Although Andriy Derkach, during his press conference where he played these tapes for journalists, I believe mentioned Burisma by name and suggested that it was discussed in these recordings. But that's actually not true. And I've seen a lot of English language reporting in the Western press saying or citing Dyrkach as saying that Burisma was mentioned in these tapes. And obviously that wasn't the case. And so many people aren't listening to these tapes in full. They're taking Dyrkach at his word, which again is something that really shouldn't be done. He's, he's proven himself time and time again to not be a trustworthy figure. I think if you listen really closely to the tapes, the only thing that I found a little bit interesting and possibly something that authorities in Ukraine could look into would be the situation around the citizenship of Ivaris I've seen some commentary on that issue and the way in which President Poroshenko granted him citizenship. And so that might be one of the only real revelations in these tapes to actually come out of them and be something where, you know, maybe authorities need to look into the matter and the way in which this was done. Let me remind our listeners that uh, Abramovichus is a Lithuanian who was an economy minister under Poroshenko and right now I guess he's head of board of Ukrobrom 
Gazprom, the defense concern, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken. But you already responded to this question. My next question was actually about Burisma. You, you already responded to it. But there is another side of it, right? And this uh, basically the propaganda in Ukraine, I would say big amount of anti-Western propaganda, people like Medvedchuk, people around Kolomoisky, uh, people of former party of the regions. They are saying that this is an example of external governance, that Ukraine is basically externally controlled by the United States, that it, it does everything United States wants, etc. Do you think that these conversation, these tapes, uh, is basically also a testimony of this? That's certainly the most interesting aspect of all of this is who is releasing these tapes. In that case, it's Andrei Derkach who's releasing them publicly. And who is behind the capturing of this conversation, whether that be a wiretap or a cell phone in the room that was recording this, or maybe even the presidential office recording this, and those recordings being obtained by someone after the fact and now released. What's interesting to me is who's promoting this tape and how it's being promoted. And we talked about the latter already. It's being reported in both the Ukrainian and Western media, and it's become quite a scandal, especially in Ukraine. The people who are promoting the release of these tapes are news outlets in Ukraine, such as Channel 112, News 1, and other media that, like these 112 and News 1 channels, are very closely aligned with pro-Russian figures in Ukraine. And the message that we're seeing about these tapes aligns a lot with what the Kremlin has said about Ukraine, accusing it of essentially being or becoming a vassal state beholden to the U.S. And if you look at Derkach and his connections to some of these media and his own personal background, there are a lot of arrows that do point north to Moscow, right? Derkach himself studied at, a, at an academy run by the KGB during his school years. His father was a well-known security service figure in Ukraine, and we know the security service at that time to be very closely aligned with the security services in Russia. And these news outlets, 112 and News 1, to be controlled by a figure who's very close to Viktor Medvedchuk. And Viktor Medvedchuk, to be, besides a Ukrainian politician, a close personal friend of Vladimir Putin. So close, of course, that one of Medvedchuk's daughters has a godfather by the name of Vladimir Putin. And so there is a lot of Russia elements in this case, and I think still quite a bit more investigating to do, to sort of dig into the background of this case and to see how these tapes were dug up and to look a little bit more closely at just what the motivations are for someone like Durkash to be releasing them. Did this story have any reaction in the US and do you think it is being used in the uh, American election campaign? It had a reaction in the US, but mostly among a very tight circle of pro-Trump and right-wing media. Media here that really does not like the reporting of mainstream outlets like the New York Times and Washington Post. We saw a lot of news about these tapes and misinformation and misreporting about the tapes and their content in more fringe right-wing sites. There is a site called Just the News that is run by journalist-turned-commentator turned Trump supporter by the name of John Solomon. And people who have followed the Trump-Ukraine impeachment saga will know his name. He used to work at The Hill and then uh, left The Hill under criticism of his columns about Ukraine and Giuliani. And he's close to figures like Andrei Derkach. 
and uh, some other pro-Russian figures in Ukraine. So it resonated in those types of circles. It didn't really make headlines in larger mainstream Western media, with the exception of some of the news wires and I believe the Washington Post, all of whom did a more straight news story on just the release of them. But if you read those articles, they don't sensationalize the release of the tapes and they focus less on the contents of them, which, again, really didn't provide any new revelations, and more on the sort of story about why they might be released. And that is part of what the discussion over here is. Clearly, it's something aimed at the election here in the U.S. coming up in November. And it's something that I think we're going to see a lot more of. If anything, the release of these tapes may be a sort of signal that there's going to be more of this type of Ukraine-U.S. misinformation to come before the November election here. Did Trump use it in his Twitter or in, in his statement? Did he mention the existence of these tapes? No, I not that I saw. I did not notice the president using these tapes or or retweeting or linking um, to it or even commenting on it himself. However, one of his sons did tweet about the tapes and linked to one of the right-wing media's articles about the release of them. Um, and I forget exactly what he said word for word, but something along the lines of this being an interesting release or a shocking or groundbreaking discovery, something along those lines. How would you see the uh, the behavior of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who said on the press conference basically that, well, he sees it, that there is a investigation of the uh, prosecutor generally around it, and of probably it can be used against Poroshenko, meaning that blaming him for st- state treachery, whatever. Is he risking really taking sides in American election? There was a huge reaction also after this press conference. There was a reaction by Ukrainian civil society. I guess there was a statement by Kiev Security Forum calling not to take sides. Although Zelensky, if if he goes after Poroshenko after, his, after these tapes, he will basically do what Trump wants. So how do you estimate his behavior? That's a really interesting question. And I saw some of the commentary in the Ukrainian blogosphere and and on social media about this. I think a lot of people's ears perked up when they heard Zelensky's comments about possibly investigating Poroshenko in this. But I don't take this necessarily as Zelensky taking a side in terms of US politics. It's no secret that Poroshenko and Zelensky don't think very highly of each other. And Certainly, we saw a very tense campaign run last year by both men. And there, of course, has been an effort by prosecutors under the Zelensky presidency to investigate President Petro Poroshenko's past work and activities, right? I think, if anything, this is a wrong step on Zelensky's part to prosecute his predecessor. And I think a lot of people are seeing echoes of you know, Yanukovych and his time in office and going after his political rivals here. I don't necessarily see it, just to repeat this, I don't see Zelensky necessarily taking sides in the U.S. election here. Although that's, of course, going to be how some people, both in the U.S. and Kiev, see any action that Zelensky might take here in going after Poroshenko in relation to these to these tape recordings. 
What also interests me is the figure of Yuri Lutsenko, who is basically also the one of the figures that is present on these tapes, because Poroshenko says that Shokin is fired, and he discusses with Biden the figure of Lutsenko, and then there was a complicated process of appointing Lutsenko. So Lutsenko was appointed in a kind of a, after this pressure from Biden to fire and the corrupt prosecutor general Shokin. But then we saw all this story, Lutsenko alienating himself with the Americans, and blaming the Americans for pressuring on him or for also external governance, right? Probably he didn't use use this term and then aligning himself with people around Trump and Giuliani. So why is this happened with him? Or maybe it's a destiny of Ukrainian, you know, law enforcement services to be that, I would say, difficult with the pressure from the United States or from the democratic community. I think the Lutsenko thing is interesting because Lutsenko himself was caught up in a very political case that saw him be prosecuted under Yanukovych's rule and sentenced to four years in prison for a crime that many people in the West and in Ukraine even believe was trumped up and bogus. Both him and the former prime minister, Yulia Tymoshenko, got caught up in prosecutions in the Yanukovych era. And so it's a bit odd to see Lutsenko be brought up in this case and actually provide some of the support or fodder to these Giuliani-aligned, Trump-aligned figures, and he himself communicate with, with Rudy Giuliani and essentially provide some of the support for ultimately what they want to be a case against figures in Ukraine and Joe Biden himself after Lutsenko getting support from the West diplomatically, especially during his time in a Ukrainian prison cell. I think there still might be some more to come from Lutsenko. That's going to be an interesting thing to watch as it gets close to the election, whether or not he's going to stay on the sidelines as he has in the last couple of months or start speaking out a little bit more as uh, Dirkach and others no doubt do. Relating to this conversation in which he's mentioned specifically on these tapes, Shokin was certainly viewed as the bad guy at the time, and the U.S. really wanted him out. I think the U.S. was less concerned about who exactly exactly was tapped to be the next prosecutor general. And Biden seems to sort of ignore the fact that Lutsenko is a close ally of Poroshenko and doesn't have any legal background. And I think Poroshenko in the tapes, not explicitly, but implies in his language that the Verkhovna Rada, Ukraine's parliament, had to change the laws in order for Lutsenko to be tapped. And Biden doesn't seem to fully grasp the meaning of that and essentially okays the appointment of Lutsenko. I think thinking that anybody but Shokin would be better at the time. When you look at today's Ukrainian reality and today's law enforcement and today's, for example, general prosecutor, Mrs. Venediktova, and what's going on in Ukrainian law enforcement service, do you have an impression that it is the times of Shokin and Lutsenko are coming back, that it is not really changing? Or do you have an impression of positive change? I'm certainly like many others, concerned about some of the appointments, especially the appointments of people who don't have a lot of extensive legal background and who might be less of an expert in their field and more of a crony of the current president, Zelensky. I'm hesitant to say that it looks like a revenge, as many call it in Ukraine, or a return of the old guard. Certainly there are some figures who have reemerged and been appointed to government positions 
who worked in the Yanukovych administration, but some of them weren't necessarily a close ally of Yanukovych. I'm concerned a little bit about some of these appointments, but we don't see a lot of case results or political cases that have led to imprisonment. I think if we were to see, let's say, the investigations into Poroshenko's time in office really heat up and a lot of pressure put on courts to convict him in some of these cases, then we should really start being concerned. And I think at that point, a lot of Western governments and very likely the US government in particular, speaking out on that matter and certainly warning Ukraine of going down a really dangerous route that is something that would be reminiscent of the Yanukovych era and something still fresh in people's minds. After all, it wasn't that long ago that Yanukovych went after his political opponents and everybody in Ukraine, I think, still recalls that. Maybe my last question about the U.S. interest in Ukraine and Eastern Europe in general. It is not a secret that Trump administration was characterized by a certain isolationism and the coronavirus pandemic, of course, only increased it. We know how United States suffered and how dramatic it is for the country, this uh, coronavirus pandemic. So do you think it will fundamentally change American foreign policy and interest in countries like Ukraine? Because there is a On the one hand, there is a very strong signal from, let's say, people with this Euromaidan feelings that uh, Ukraine needs strong America because of the Russian threat. But on the other hand, we, we see the growing number of people who are saying that Ukraine is governed by uh, Americans, etc. So what's your expectation on it? Well, I think the pandemic is going to affect everything and, and people should be prepared for a change in the way we live, a change in many countries' foreign policies. I think a lot also will depend on who wins the U.S. election in November. If it's going to be Donald Trump, I would think that things would continue as they have been in the last few years, which is more or less U.S. policy remaining the same, but still having this sort of uncertainty around Ukraine just because of Trump's own sort of dislike of the country and his desire to cozy up with Putin and make US and Russian relations stronger. If Biden is to win the election, then I think we'd see something more along the lines of what we saw during the Obama administration, with the exception of Biden actually being a supporter of providing lethal aid and military aid such as Javelin anti-tank missiles to Ukraine. It was from what I've read and what I understand in my conversations with officials at the State Department and former White House officials in the Obama administration, it was Obama who was against providing lethal aid to Ukraine, but was very much in support of providing all different types of security aid that has come in handy for the Ukrainian military. I think, you know, with the Biden administration, Ukrainians could feel a little bit more comfort in the fact that Biden is going to be tough on Russia, and he's going to be more supportive of Ukraine, and he understands Ukraine better than Trump does. He's much more of a friend to Ukraine than Trump ever will be. Again, if, if Trump comes to power, I think it's going to be a lot more uncertainty regarding the U.S. foreign policy in Ukraine. But that's not to say that Ukraine won't continue to get its security aid. Now, however, I will say again, to come full circle here, the pandemic really has and will change everything, including countries' foreign policies. And because of the poor economic situation everywhere in, in the world, but especially the U.S., we could see the U.S. reconsidering some types of aid or the amount of aid given 
to some countries, Ukraine possibly being one of them. But again, we'll have to wait and see. But coming back to Biden, don't you think that Zelensky, people around him, like Andriy Yermak and others, are making these relations with uh, people around Trump, right, with Rudy Giuliani, etc. And if there is a, a investigation into Poroshenko, and if, for example, the Democrats in the United States consider it as a realization of this quid pro quo of Trump and Zelensky uh, talk. Do you think that Biden will consider Zelensky as his enemy? I don't think so. I think Biden is going to look at Ukraine and the state, and I think he will always have his this, this position of supporting the Ukrainian state. I mean, leaders come and go. The state will always remain, right? Or that, hopefully. And I think he's also going to look at Zelensky as a pragmatist. Zelensky is in an incredibly difficult, maybe even impossible situation where he has to appease Trump, but also not come out as supporting Trump because it could alienate some of the Democrats and be seen as Zelensky taking sides in U.S. politics. So he's still, Zelensky, that is, walking this political tightrope, trying to keep both Democrats and Republicans happy and just trying to focus on his work in Ukraine while constantly being dragged into uh, U.S. political drama. We're going to see a lot more before the election in terms of U.S.-Ukraine news, Trump-Ukraine impeachment-related stuff. But again, I think Zelensky is in this really tough position. I would expect him to continue to try to remain in this sort of middle ground. If any of these investigations into Poroshenko do go forward, and there is a way for Trump supporters and Giuliani's allies in Ukraine to spin it as having been Zelensky's choice in U.S. politics, then it could become more dangerous for Zelensky going forward. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, it's a very interesting conversation and very important topic. What will be a U.S.-Ukrainian relations, what they are in the current circumstances of repeating scandals about American-Ukrainian relations. This was Christopher Miller, correspondent covering Eastern Europe for BuzzFeed News and Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. It was a Ukraine World podcast. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. Stay with us.